from Deus Humanity-Centered Artificial Intelligence. My name is Natalie Post, and this is the Human-Centered AI Podcast. We feature inspiring stories of people who are paving the way and shaping the future of artificial intelligence in ways that are human, humanity, and planet-centered. Today, I'm joined by Jansu Janja, philosopher and founder of AI Ethics Lab. Jansu has a PhD in philosophy and has specialized in applied ethics. At AI Ethics Lab, she leads teams of computer scientists, philosophers, and legal scholars to provide ethics analysis and guidance to researchers and practitioners. She also serves as an ethics expert in a range of ethics, advisory, and editorial boards. In this episode, we dive into the work that Jansu does at AI Ethics Lab, and in particular, their latest initiative, Dynamics of AI Principles. In this context, we talk about the role of AI principles, the difference between core principles and instrumental principles, and how organizations can go about operationalizing AI ethics. We also discuss the flagship model of AI Ethics Lab, named Puzzle Solving in AI, which sounds fun, right? So let's get into the episode. Hi, John Su, and welcome to the Human Centered AI Podcast. It is really, really great to talk to you today. I am looking forward to this already for a while, so I'm really glad we finally get the opportunity to record this. Um, but for our listeners who may not know you yet, could you give a bit of an introduction about yourself and also your background? Hi, Natalie. It's great to talk to you finally after all that back and <laughs> forth. Um, I'm John Sujanja. I'm a philosopher by training and um, I run the AI Ethics Lab, uh, which is a initiative based in Boston working on uh, the questions of AI ethics, both on the research side, but also as a consulting, um, helping practitioners both in academia and in private in the industry um, to deal with ethical questions that they face in their everyday work. How did you actually end up focusing on AI ethics? Because you're a philosopher by training. So how, how did that journey look like? So I started off as a, a philosopher working on applied ethics. So my main area from the very start was um, ethics and health. So I've been working on questions related to um, healthcare, uh, you know, the patient-doctor relationship, ethical questions that arise between the patient and doctors, physicians um, within hospitals, but also policy level, you know, how should the health uh, policy be um, organized and and um how the decisions in healthcare should be made. Um, I started looking into technology while I was working at, an, at a medical school, actually, um, because I started realizing that we get a lot of new technologies, especially technologies with um, AI systems. And when we are talking about all these different ethical questions, this one aspect, which is what kind of ethical decisions that go into the technology is always lost. So we never, we never talk about that. Technology is given and what you do as a physician or, or as a healthcare provider is what we discuss, which seems to miss like a huge part of the conversation increasingly as technologies um, become a bigger part of healthcare. So healthcare was the um, lead way for me to ethics of technology and ethics of AI. And from there, I realized that there are so many interesting questions 
that are very specifically about AI ethics. So I sort of moved a little bit away from health and started focusing on ethics of AI. But I still love the health uh, questions. And the, the sweet spot for me is when the healthcare ethics and AI intersect. That's like a lot of fun, interesting, exciting questions. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you tell a little bit more about AI Ethics Lab and what you do at AI Ethics Lab and your approach there? Yeah. So um, basically the idea of AI Ethics Lab was we started really early. We started, um, I started at um, in 2016, early 2016, working on these questions. And towards the late 2016, I had to figure out, okay, what what step do I need to take? Should I get a job as an um, as a uh, in academia working on AI ethics questions? Should I go to industry? But turns out that was really early because when I um, talked to um, you know leading academic institutions and leading companies, no one really wanted to talk about AI ethics. Like uh, seriously, you know, the word was slightly getting around, but it was not taken seriously yet. Um, so AI ethics is based, basically the, the thing that I thought should have existed back then, but didn't. A center where you have interdisciplinary research um, and where you, um, because it's applied ethics, where you apply this research and apply these questions. When, when somebody has a question who is not a philosopher, um, you can help them, give them advice, help them with ethics analysis so that they can uh, quickly integrate that into their work and move on. So instead of like slowing down the process, sort of making it really um, dynamic and fast uh, and a part of the innovation uh, innovation uh, progress, basically. So that's the idea behind the AI ethics lab. And that's what we do right now as well. Yeah, no. And I find it so fascinating that you really started in 2016, 2017, because I feel like right now, definitely everyone in the space of AI, you know, knows of AI ethics and AI ethics guidelines, etc. It's much talked about, but it was definitely very different a couple of years ago where it was really contained in a smaller research community, I would say. So really, really interesting. Yeah. And in fact, I think... A lot of the times, like we, we forget this, like, because we talk about AI ethics so much, it sounds like it, we've been talking about it for a long time. We just like, we just started talking about this in the spotlight for in the last, uh, what, like three years, because 2016 was not very, um, very busy in that sense. Um, but of course, like, let me, let me make it clear that there has always been people in academia and in industry concerned about these questions and doing great work about these questions. Maybe they did not call it AI ethics and called it machine ethics, computer ethics, um, ethics of the internet, but it was more or less the same questions just evolving as, as technology evolves. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what I do think is quite like, a, I guess, a more recent development of these last couple of years, right, are all those AI principles being published by organizations. And, you know, what started with a couple became many of them. And so you recently did a research about that topic, dynamics of AI principles. Could you tell a little bit more about that and why you decided to create the toolbox? Sure. So the, the initial very first idea, we started this actually quite early. It just took us a while to um, fully complete and achieve what we wanted to um, put out, what we wanted to put out. Um, so we started it um, 
I actually don't know, but it's been easily more than a, a year, uh, perhaps two years already. Um, but the, gen- the main idea was that these um, documents kept coming up and up. And the question was like, well, how do they fit together? How many are there in total? What are they talking about? Because you don't, like, you see them all one by one, but you don't actually get a sense of how do they all fit together? So initial idea was that, well, how do we make sense of this? Can we do something that helps us? And um, we wanted to basically gather all of the existing documents, put like a little summary so that we can understand like quickly where they are going um, and see them on a map because there was also this like, where the, where is this more um, prominent? This conversation is happening more often. So this is how we started. But then as we were continuing, we realized, well, we actually want to be able to differentiate between organizations. We want to be able to differentiate between regions. We want to be able to compare all the documents. So we kept adding new functions. And at some point, we also realized that um, the principles are... So there's one thing that's very interesting for anyone who comes from um, ethics and health, bioethics, which is that... The, the original principles, the original four principles have been published in 1979 and they have been used in the health et- ethics and health um, for all this time with no real change. And suddenly when it becomes AI ethics, everyone publishes their own principles. So there, it was weird to think like, okay, but what's different? And when we looked through, we did realize that there is a, there are actually a lot of conceptual problems. How... Why do they have, um, so like, how do I explain? So the, the one conceptual problem, the main conceptual problem is um, there are principles that are just instrumental to reach certain um, ethical uh, purposes. Like privacy, we don't value privacy for itself. We value it because it, it um, allows us to make autonomous decisions. It allows us to control our lives and it might protect us from harm or unfair treatment. So, but it's, it's instrumental. We, but when you look at these documents, you realize that a lot of them just glorify these instrumental um, points without realizing how they fit together. You know, uh, privacy, transparency, explainability. Yes, but, um, and this is very important because when, it's a hard question. There's always a trade-off involved. And in order to be able to do the trade-off, you have to understand what serves to what purpose. So for that reason, we then I wrote an article on this, which is now published. And then we added another tool, which is called the box, um, to this whole system where you can see how these different principles fit together conceptually and you can use them. It was a little bit of a long explanation. <laughs> no, but but I think it's actually, it, it gives a, a good understanding because I think from being in this space, I constantly see all these principles being published and I'm always very divided in my thoughts about those principles because in the end, yeah, it's obviously about the, the operationalizing of them and putting them into action. So what are your thoughts around that, around the value of these principles? The principles, I, I think, so the principles are um, very useful, but if you, under, if you try to make, if you try to do more than they are, they can offer, then they can become harmful. Um, and we've seen this in, um, in bioethics as well. So it's not only special to ethics, um, AI ethics. Um, basically, principles are sort of like a checklist. It, they remind you the important concerns, but there are no, there is no hierarchy beyond, between principles. And hard questions are when, for example, 
um, questions where the, the core principles conflict. Like, for example, you might have um, a, a case where the you need a lot of data in order to, uh, a lot of personal data in order to create a health, healthcare tool and uh, you cannot get consent. So there you have a problem, and you cannot anonymize, let's say. So there you have a problem of clear problem with the autonomy. But if you drop the project, and if you think that this healthcare technology will be extremely useful, you, you are now giving away, giving up the um, benefits. So that's a hard question. And the principles don't give you a way out of this. But until here, like until you hit this hard question, principles are a great way of uh, both core principles and instrumental principles like privacy, transparency, accountability are great ways of checking what you should um, think about. And when you hit the hard questions, there you have theories because theories are complete. They give you a hierarchy. They tell you which one to choose um, in which situation. Um, so I think uh, the problem happens when these p principles are used beyond their purpose, um, almost like a checkbox that is justified by taste. <laughs> so that's, that's not a good idea. Yeah. And so when you hit those hard questions, um, can you elaborate a bit more on the theory that you just mentioned and like, how do you actually bring that theory into practice as well? Yeah. So let me actually start by, I think I, I missed one part of the answer in your last question, which is that, well, how do you operationalize? And that part, so that's where we wanted to use the box for. The box gives you the our, the box that we created as a as a part of our toolbox, <laughs> not just a box. <laughs> yeah, we, we not a very clear name, I suppose, but it's a simple, <laughs> minim minimalist name. <laughs> so um, the box gives you a checklist and where it's an interactive checklist. So you can sort of, as you think through, you can um, put, you can evaluate the project or the product, uh, looking at how the project or the product um, endorses and, and um, um, implements certain instrumental principles. So what did you do about the privacy? What did you do about transparency and so on? So it's, it's a checklist. That doesn't mean that you have to fulfill all of them. But if you haven't fulfilled one of them, you should think about it. Was that a bad thing? Does that have consequences? Um, and can you make it better? So it, it starts with that. And if certain um, instrumental principles are not uh, fully implemented, cannot be fully implemented, then the box also sort of helps you think, well, but to what purpose, to what actual ethical goal does it serve? Is it about autonomy? Is it about harm and benefit balance? Is it about justice? So about these core principles, which one is at risk? So that's the starting point of operationalizing the principles. But then, as you asked right now, you know, like when you hit the hard question, when you, the, when you have a real conflict, especially between the core principles, what do you do? Um, so we have there in, in ethics, which is a part of philosophy as a discipline. I say this because this is sometimes like confused. <laughs> so in ethics, we have um, a number of uh, moral theories that give you um, ways of reasoning about them. So the utilitarian theory will tell you, take into account all the consequences and weigh them in terms of how, um, how much harm could they possibly do and how to reduce that harm to minimum. 
Um, so that would be the utilitarian way to go about it. Or a Kant- on the other hand, a Kantian theory will tell you more focusing on individual autonomy and uh, people's um, control on their on their lives. Sometimes they overlap, so you can say, okay, this is the answer. All the theories. And, and we have other theories, of course. So these are just the two to start with. But then justice, for example, is tricky because we have multiple theories of justice. So sometimes most of all the theories align and you know what is the right thing to do. Maybe it wasn't so obvious, but once you did the the, 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 um, the ethical work, you get to that answer. A lot of the times, if the question is really hard, they will not align. The theories will point you to different directions. And... Oftentimes, people think that's a big problem because that means that ethics just doesn't give you answers. I think, and I argue, that it is not a big problem because even if you choose one of those equally right answers, equally justifiable answers, you are way better off than choosing any other answer. So you are still narrowing down your decision uh, set drastically to uh, three, maybe two or three options. And choosing from them will be much better than choosing any other decision and using, making any other decision. So that's why, like, um, the way to think about ethics should be: it can give you a re- it can give you a very clear answer, or it can give you um, options. And when you have the options, you can go back to your principles then and say, well, what kind of a company are we? What do we actually prioritize when things conflict? When 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 there is no way out. Do we always prioritize privacy because we prioritize individual control? Or do we always prioritize well-being of the society because that's what we are going for? There, the principles make sense. Then you are endorsing it as a company. What does it mean for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you're saying here, because I'm kind of wondering, so do you see generally that organizations are prioritizing their principles already, or is it like unprioritized? And is this something that they face the moment they hit such a question? Um, So far, I have not seen any organization that does proper prioritization. Um, And oftentimes it's even the case that um, these sets of principles that they publish, they should mean that when you have a set of principles, principles that should mean that you are not endorsing the others, right? Like whatever is excluded. But I don't think that's even what they mean. I think that's sort of like um, whatever word cloud feels closer to the company, that's what the principles usually are, rather than this very systematic way of thinking and saying, here are the ways that they can conflict. And when they happen, we are going to go with this. So I have not seen this. Um, I have not seen this yet in any company uh, myself. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm kind of wondering based on, on, on that, actually, is like, if um, so, do you think organizations should set out their own principles for AI or tech or generally ethical principles, I would say. Um, And should they do that, let's say, based on, you know, on these core principles and the distinguishment between those instrumental ones? Or how should they basically go about it? Like, what is a a good way to go about this? Yeah, I think this is a, uh, it's a good question (laughs) to start it. (laughs) And I think um, the way to do this is, yes, first of all, yes, they should have principles, because I think, Again, if you use them well, I think principles are useful. 
oftentimes they are just window dressing and then there is no meaning, of course. But the good way of using them would be when you start off with uh, a really good discussion in the company, trying to figure out how do you, what do you uh, most strongly endorse? By the way, I mean, it's clear, like all of us should want to endorse all of these principles. Like there should not be like, oh, I, I actually don't believe in accountability. I mean, that, that's not, that's not supposed to be the way it goes. We should all be like, that's why, like when you look at the box, we have all of them because all of them must matter. But then when you, within a company, um, the process should be that you start by understanding the principles and seeing how they fit together. And from there, applying them in, in your uh, everyday work. And as you do this, it will become more and more clear with, with cases, with use cases. What do you, what decision do you do? Do you make? So once you make a decision on a particular case, you already made a decision about which principle you prioritize. And that will be your precedent. So once you have that precedent, next time you have the similar question, you will have a guidance, but you will also have a chance to look back and check whether that was the right decision. Because it could always be the case that that decision was the wrong one and now you want to make it right, right? So it will give you this like sort of like bouncing back and forth way of um, strengthening your principles and understanding them more and more with a variety of cases that are real cases, not just hypothetical, but real cases that you have been struggling in within the company. This systematic way of doing it will eventually give you a really good playbook, both for the um, developers to know what is what does this country's uh, company stand for, um, for the ethicists to help the, the developers or the leadership to make decisions, and for the leadership to say, well, this is what we've been advocating. So either let's go with this, or if we are going to change course, well, let's do that carefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so do, is this the type of work that you're also then doing with organizations as in like being embedded within their teams and, you know, working with them very actively on this, these matters? That is sort of the type of work that we are pushing the industry yeah. to let us do. <laughs> so I cannot, I cannot in all honesty say that this is something that we do all the time. Um, what we do is more like portions of it. So, you know, companies might come and ask um, our feedback on their principles or their, on their uh, general strategy about uh, AI ethics and so on. So it's like this, this whole, or, or on a specific case, a project or a product, right? So it's sort of like this whole thing that should happen in a much more systematic way. Right now we get to do bits and pieces with each company because it's still not a standard practice within the industry to really go from um, your strategy to your, you know, your ethics strategy, your ethics principles goes in your ethics strategy. Um, analyzing the projects or products when you have a hard question, uh, talking to the experts and all of these things are not like clearly defined for the companies within the companies yet. So uh, by the way, I should not just single out the industry. I think in academia as well, it's not, you would rarely hear um, computer science department reaching out to the philosophy department asking ethics questions, very rarely. So this is not a standard yet. Um, it is something that we are um, very, very strongly trying to change because I think this is one way of, this. this is not just like, it should be this way, but it's also like, 
now we have a chance to um, make the make it such that ethics becomes a meaningful part of a structure. You know, you could say that well, it was never a meaningful part of business structure, but hey, you know, technology, if it can become a part of technology, it's going to become a part of business as well. So it's a way of possibly, if we can manage it, it's a way of um, making um, ethics stronger in, in society in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I must say, I really appreciate the, the honesty about the, or transparency, at least about the work that, you know, that is going on, because I think it's often, yeah, if you look at, you know, what is being published, that often gives you a very different view than what is actually happening in organizations. And the same holds for, I would say, emerging technologies in general. There's quite a big gap between, you know, what is being published versus what's actually happening. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm very curious also. So um, one other piece of work that I would love to discuss with you is your puzzle solving in ethics model. And I love the name of this because it just sounds fun. But I'm just I'm so glad. Yes. Yeah. That's the whole idea. Thank you. Yeah. But so I'm curious, like what led you to create this model? And, and well, first of all, maybe what is it actually? Mm-hmm. So the idea is... Um, let me say what it is not to okay. what it is. Um, so I think a lot of the times when uh, people hear ethics, especially people who are in practice hear ethics, they, they hear something that's um, like a policing system. You know, um, you make sure that they say, yes, they approve. And if they don't approve, you're in trouble. <laughs> so somebody's sort of like always um, pointing fingers to them and saying, you've been wrong. <laughs> So that is the, the the structure that we want to get away from, because um, the philosophical, moral, like moral philosophy, philosophical ethics is really about having a hard question where you don't know what is the right thing to do and trying to figure out what is the right decision, what is the right action to take um, and trying to do this, you know, taking into account everything, including the cost, like the business cost, the time, everything. It's not just like in your leisurely time, let's think about ethics endlessly, but like everything real life that gives you everything considered. How can we uh, make the best decision? And that is like puzzle solving. It is very, um, I love ethics. So like it is very exciting. It's very logical and analytical. So something again that a lot of the um the mathy types don't think. They think of ethics as more like this this um, literature style, which is not. It's very like logic is basically you know um, the basis of a lot of um, computer code. <laughs> so it's very uh, systematic um, and very very interesting because um, you are honestly trying to figure out what is the right answer in a given situation, and that is like puzzle solving. And the reason why I wanted to like put it in the name is because that's how I want people to approach it. Like when you have a problem, you don't go for approval. When you have a problem, you go to help to solve the problem. Um, so we want, we are there to help you figure out what is the right thing to do. And also when I say help this, this, I, I mean it literally, it's not like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay, like we actually tell you, but I say we help you. No, no, because I have to be able to get feedback from you saying, um, you know, how is it technologically possible, right? Like I can tell you here are the ethical, like here is what you should do, but now let's talk about what can be done uh, technically 
um, what is, you know, what are the costs of it and so on and get that feedback and incorporate it back into our reasoning. So it's very much in, in a teamwork. Um, and it really works if both parties are trying to um, find an answer, find a solution. And it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you maybe give some examples of how, you know, this worked in practice, maybe in some of the, the work you've done? Um, yeah. Is there any example that you can share? Let me just, let me just give you uh, an example that was uh, that was mostly like a, a on the um, idea creation phase. So it's easy to share that one. But the idea was, um, can we have a, the question that was raised was that can we have a variable um, that gathers well, a variable that's connected to a lot of IOTs and therefore gets a lot of information about your life, about your you know bodily functions and all of those things. And eventually, basically, be able to um, have a very good understanding of your yourself, your body, your lifestyle, um, how you react to things. And the purpose of this variable was not just health, but the idea behind it when the question came to us was to help you live a good life. Um, so... That's the question that came to us. And that was like a, like a big and messy puzzle <laughs> because there you have, first of all, um, you have all the questions about like, what does it mean to lead a good life? Like, what do we want to have people to, um, what kind of services do we want people to get from such a device? Um, presumably, this is going to change a lot uh, from person to person because of your preferences and values. You know, it could be unhealthy for you to, um, work long hours. But if your purpose in life is, let's say, to find um, a vaccine for COVID-19, <laughs> that is going to take long hours. And should this thing keep beeping saying that you should go to sleep? <laughs> so like the, and, and we had these like different ideas, like, well, should this thing ask you a lot of questions about um, your, uh, your preferences and your values? But then what kind of a system would um, judge these values and say, what is, um, what is worthwhile because it should not just go with, okay, this is your goal. I'm going to help you achieve this goal because your goal could be bad for society. You know, your goal could be, I don't know. Um, I want to defraud people, um, in the most, um, effective way. Well, preferably <laughs> this thing should not help you do this. So, um, it did, we had a lot of discussions about, you know, what, a product like this should be like. And basically um, we help them um, change the goal to a more um, well-being oriented one because anything beyond that was uh, not feasible, um, possibly harmful. Um, and as they are doing that, also introduce questions regarding um, who would analyze the data and give um health-related advice, because there you have this question of gatekeeping, just like, you know, think about it, like what happened with newspapers, you know, um, should anyone be able to post news? Should anyone be able to tell you what is good for you? Like, should it be like, um, given as pulsar of giving you diabetes advice, or should we make sure that it's at least physicians? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we came, with idea, came up with ideas for some gatekeeping uh, for expertise um, and, and um, 
safety, basically. And so all of these small things were um, long discussions about what we um, we told them about what are the um, ethically justifiable options and what they told us what they can do um, and therefore, you know, which routes to take and which ones not to take. Yeah, no, I think it's super interesting you sharing that example because it just gives a better idea of what kind of questions actually arise and like how you're dealing with those. Um, I'm also wondering, so because now that you've um, wrapped up your Dynamics of AI Principles initiative, I'm kind of wondering what's next for you? You know, are there other topics that you feel like you're going to dig into? Like what's on your on your uh, radar roadmap, let's say? Yeah, happily. Uh, <laughs> so there are, the problem is always there are just so many extremely exciting questions that we are unable to go fast enough to finish and jump into the next project. So I, I think the only problem is like, how much we can do, not like, oh, like there's nothing interesting left to do, never that. <laughs> um, so we already have a project that's running about the um, research ethics for AI research with human subjects. Um, we've already uh, wrote uh, modules for this, online teaching modules um, for the city training, um, city program uh, in the U United States. Um, so like we wrote three modules um, on this topic And we did a webinar already and we are now sort of, they are much more introductory, these modules and the webinar. And we are now um, detailing this account and um, writing our um, sort of like a white paper, a policy paper about what should be done. Because here's a, like in a, in a uh, mini explanation, here's what's going on. The, the question is, we have research ethics and research ethics is um, one of the most um well, uh, widely used um, applied ethics area. So it is very strong. It has its rules, it's, it has its regulations, um, and it has its way of practice. But, um, and, and the main purpose there is to ensure that the research does not harm the society, but most importantly, if there are human subjects involved, it does not harm humans. Um, the AI research is interesting because a lot of the times the human subjects are not right in your face, like in a clinical trial. Um, and they do get, um, like you use similar ideas, but the similar ideas just become so um, ineffective. For example, um, the regular informed consent in, in research ethics would require you as a researcher to make sure that the person has read the consent form, understood it, and voluntarily and rationally agreed to it. Terms and conditions on a website does none of that. And it is pretending that it's informed consent. It is not. We all know this. So sort of trying to figure out, well, but then what should happen? Like, should we force informed consent? In which case things get really, um, things do slow down if you force that, of course, because how are you going to use the data online? So sort of like pointing out these questions and at least offering some ways of thinking about them. We are not... Um, large enough of a of a group to say here are the answers <laughs> but we are um i think we have experiences enough among us um to say here are the major problems here are where the existing systems fall short and here are ways to go forward so that's a project that's already currently running um we are going to start another one uh in january that which i'm very excited about which is about which 
I'm not going to tell you what it is about, but it's, <laughs> it's something that combines design and um, ethics. Uh, that makes me very excited. <laughs> um, and a lot of the other projects really come as things evolve or what we face, um, what kind of questions we keep seeing repeatedly from the consulting side. Um, because as we see more and more issues, we realize that, okay, this actually um, demands a research. We should be working on this in a much more detailed manner so that we can help us and the the um, the field in furthering these questions. So like some of these questions are coming, um, will be coming <laughs> from our existing uh, collaborations with the practitioners. Great. Yeah, no, that's amazing to hear. I'm definitely going to stay up to date with everything that you're going to share and publish because you're doing really great work here, I think. Um, maybe. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but given that we're kind of getting towards the end of our time here, um, for some closing words, if you want, you know, if people want to learn more about you or AI Ethics Lab, where should they go? Where do you want to send them to? <laughs> I want them to come to our website. <laughs> so AIethicsLab.com, um, you'll find it very easily. Um, and on our website, you will easily find um, the toolbox that we've been discussing. Um, it's on the front page <laughs> uh, because it's new. So we are still promoting it. Um, and But you will also find all sorts of um, videos that the talks that um, we've done, uh, we've given, um, the details, some of the details about the trainings that we offer to practitioners, um, webinars, uh, articles. So like a lot of the things that come from the lab um, or that we collaborate. So it's not necessarily just our work, but in collaboration with other um, partners, um, you can find them all on the website and more information about me, you can um, Google me on, in the lab. So John Sujanja AI Ethics Lab, you'll find my page um, or aiethicslab.com slash Janja. And um, we are trying to keep an active Twitter, both for AI Ethics Lab and I, I try as well. So AI Ethics Lab's Twitter is um, AI Ethics Lab. For me, it's J Jansu. Uh, so this is Turkish spelling, by the way. So it's like C-C-A-N-S-U. <laughs> it's tricky, but yeah, that's the name. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thanks. And that was it for this episode of the Human Centered AI podcast. If you like this episode or have any feedback, do not hesitate to reach out to us at deus.ai. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time.